Warning, this episode of the Seriously Wrong Podcast has been sponsored by the Nintendo Corporation and Amazon. Both companies support this message. You are wrong. Welcome to The Seriously Wrong Show. My name is Mario. And my name is Luigi. We try to do a show every week, and apart from the show, one of my big passions is kart racing. Now, I'm a a speed demon out there. I love those tight turns. I love dropping the banana peels. And I gotta be honest, I love that my name is over the carts. Yeah, he he really loves that. Like he, all the carts. He just doesn't stop talking about it. doesn't matter who it is, name. if it's Peach, if it's Yoshi, yeah, it's if Mario. it's Bowser, it's always a Mario Kart. And I really love that for some reason. We've even gone on a bunch of adventures, just various worlds and like had yeah. to battle big bosses and That's stuff. What we do. And like the adventures are kind of always titled after Mario. I try to be a good sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he doesn't have a problem with it. Yeah. It's okay. It doesn't hurt. I don't need that. I'm the short red brother, and I'm the leader. You are shorter than me, and you're fatter than me. Well, okay. We could leave it at short. Jealousy is a disease, sweetie. Get real soon. Yeah, I mean, like... And then he's the tall brother, the sort of wimpy brother. Well, I wouldn't say wimpy. Kind of, like, stronger, bigger arms. But no one wants to play as him anyways because he runs like a wiener. Well, that's kind of irrelevant for go-karting. So let's move on to the the real issue. Yeah, we've got a big development at the Mii Kart races. Yeah, the Mario Kart. No, what's in a name? Okay, sorry. Sorry, everyone. A rose by any other name (sighs) would smell as sweet, but I would not play Luigi Kart. He just won't stop. So we've got this new racer on the track. His name is Jeff Bezos. He's a kart racer just like anyone else, just like Shy Guy, just like Koopa, just like Donkey Kong or Diddy Kong, just another racer, Jeff Bezos. But the thing is, is... is he's making it not fun anymore he always because wins. he's winning. Yeah. He always wins. Like every time. It's like his kart goes so much faster than everyone else's. It's like not even fun. He's like lapping us. No matter how good you play, you're just so far behind him. It ruins yeah. the game. Yeah, it's literally no fun. <sighs> yeah. And I don't even know what to do about it. I don't know. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. I don't know. I'm getting now worked I'm up. Sad, yeah. Can we put on one of my relaxation tapes? Sure. Yeah. I don't know why you call them relaxation tapes. They're more like informational tapes. This is why you've only had one game named after you ever. Bringing that up again. You know what? Put the tape in. And I'll out the card player. Uh, put the tape in. And I'm going to hit play. So what is the deal with homelessness in Seattle? Do they even have homeless people in Seattle? They do. They actually have more homeless people per capita than New York or Los Angeles. Oh, wow. And I I know I just played dumb and asked if they had homelessness there, but I was just reading about this. Oh, oh, uh, so you actually knew already. I knew the whole time. Um, (laughs) It's it's behind the curtain. (laughs) Um, Yeah, according to uh, an analysis by the Seattle Times, over 1% of people who live in Seattle are homeless. Over 1%. Yeah, so about 121 
homeless people for every 10,000 people in the Seattle population. That's a lot of people. It's it's too much, for <laughs> sure. It's a lot. And yeah, it's getting worse. Like, just from 2017 to 2018, the number of people living in cars in Seattle went up from 2,314 to 3,372. Wow, that's actually, that's a big It's a huge percentage jump. increase. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I was reading that between 2015 and 2017, homelessness in total went up by 44% in the Seattle region. The number of people unsheltered in Seattle went up 15% from 2017 to 2018. According to the Seattle King County Coalition on Homelessness, the January 26, 2018 count of people who are homeless found over 12,000 homeless people in the King County area, which is a county that includes Seattle and some other neighboring cities. 69% of homeless people surveyed said that they had problems accessing services that were available. 23% said that they did not qualify for relevant services. 23% said that they had no transportation. 23% said that they had no information on how to get to the services. A lot of 23%. Uh, 22% said that they didn't have the proper government identifications and paperwork to get the services, which is just insane that you would expect homeless people to necessarily have ID. And this that's a bit older, but a 2003 study found that the average age of death for people living homeless in Seattle was 47. Yeah. Off the top of my head, I remember data like that from Canada. I'm actually Gene Swanson talking about it, which is that if you are homeless, it cuts your lifespan in half. It's wild. It's wild. And yeah, the cities historically had a policy which they call sweeping. And sweeping, you know, it's a good thing to do to the floor of your house, but it's a bad thing to do to homeless encampments. Yeah, I just swept my kitchen today. I support that. Oh, That's a good you. form of sweeping. <laughs> but the way that Seattle was doing it is actually sweeping was a euphemism for going to a homeless camp, throwing out all of the homeless people's possessions, and then making them leave with nowhere to go. So... You know, if they happen to have their government-issued ID in their oh, tent. Oh, I just left that in my tent. Can I run and get it? No, actually. <laughs> no, sorry, we're throwing that out. Well, I need that to access services. Hmm? Yikes. Wow. Take it up with the Sucks ACLU. They've got enough funding to help. Today on Confirmation Bias News from The Stranger, an article from 2017. Seattle can continue taking homeless people's stuff during sweeps. Federal judge rules. The ACLU sued the city and the Washington State Department of Transportation earlier this year. The ACLU says that the loss of belongings, including medications and IDs, can be devastating for people living outside. According to their filings, one person fell into a diabetic coma after workers at the sweep destroyed his insulin. Another relapsed after losing his methadone. In response, the city has defended their policy, saying they offer 72 hours notice of a sweep, outreach efforts, and storage of unclaimed belongings. The ACLU argues that the city does not always follow its own rules. Records showed that 35% of encampments were swept with no notice, and half of them resulted in no storage of belongings. A federal judge has denied a motion for a temporary injunction on that seizure of property. And in response to photos and videos showing crews trashing tents and other materials at encampments, the judge said that the ACLU failed to provide sufficient context to determine at what stage in the city's cleanup process those photographs and videos were taken. 
Meanwhile, some of the largest Fortune 500 companies on Earth have their headquarters in the Seattle area and the surrounding area. That includes Amazon and Starbucks in Seattle and Microsoft, Costco, and Expedia in the surrounding areas. Huh. Those companies have a lot of money, right? Like, oh, yeah. As far as I understand. No, they, the they Fortune all... 500 list is determined by the amount of money they have. Right. It's the top 500. Yeah, yeah right, right. So... I wonder if we could get those companies to help pay. Oh, actually, I heard about something like that. There was a initiative in Seattle to tax Amazon to help relieve oh, yeah. the, right, right. the housing. Yeah, the, the, the head tax. They yeah, yeah the a... media called it a head tax. Do you want to go to the wrong boy's phone and see if we can call up an organizer who is involved in the head tax campaign? Yeah, I'd love to talk to an organizer. Do you know any organizers named Matt? Yeah, actually, Matthew Lang, he's an organizer with the Transit Riders Union in Seattle. They were involved in the head tax campaign. Here, oh, let's just he go probably knows the, all about it. Yeah, yeah let's, let's just go to the big, big phone. I love how big this phone is that we can both hold it up to our ear at the same time. And Yeah, we, you want to grab it with me and we both... <laughs> yeah, we can't lift it on our own. It's too heavy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, let's call this guy. Today on the show, we have Matthew Lang, who is an organizer with the Seattle Transit Riders Union. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Matthew. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be here. So for people who aren't aware of the situation in Seattle, what was this tax and where did it come from? So this was called the employee hours tax. It would have been a tax on full-time employee hours in companies that were the largest 3% gross earning companies in Seattle. By the time that the legislation itself passed, the way that it was structured that one full-time employee would be a $275 charge for that company. So it would be just a flat fee per full-time employee. Is that the same as the head tax? It's just two different names for the same tax? Yeah, it is. There was a head tax before, and it was just like per employee. And it was on the books in Seattle I think between 2007 and 2009, I think it funded transit stuff, but due to bureaucratic inefficiencies and nightmare amounts of paperwork for small businesses, it got wiped off the books. But one of the main reasons why we were able to pursue the employee hours tax was because the necessary tax infrastructure was already in place and ready to go from that first go around so this tax is a $275 tax per employee for corporations that were above a certain payroll level, like, was it $20 million in profit in a year or something like that? It was a $20 million gross revenue. So to give you a little bit of background, as far as Washington State, there was a court ruling in the past that said that income was property. And there is a law in the books in Washington State that all property must be taxed at an equal level. So there can't be any progressive type system. But we've got a case that's going up to the Supreme Court soon about getting a citywide progressive income tax going in Seattle. As it stands, there is no income tax in the state of Washington. Wait, in Washington, there's no income tax at all? No income tax. Wow. Oh, and, and so at the same time, in Seattle, there's a growing houseless population that is being rightfully identified as a major problem. And the head tax was a proposal for where to generate revenue that could potentially address that homelessness problem. Right. And it was the only progressive revenue source that could be immediately 
tapped into because that tracks infrastructure was in place. Um, something about Washington state not being a state that has income tax, three of the richest men in the world live within 10 miles of Seattle, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, and Steve Ballmer. And it's not a mistake. Washington state is a tax shelter for rich people because of that lack of income tax. And so how did organizers agitate for this tax? Like, what was the process like of getting it passed through city council? Well, it was a long process. We really started doing organizing around it in October. We had people mobilizing for public hearings, for city council meetings, ground level organizing as well, trying to get the word out. We wound up having a big camp out at City Hall. We were fighting for a $25 million revenue stream. And that didn't pass because the city council members and some other stakeholders were asking for more process to be given. So what came out of that budget process was a resolution that ensured that there would be a progressive revenue task force created that would study what kind of progressive revenue options Seattle could use that didn't violate the Washington state tax code. And all of this revenue was going to be going towards housing, shelter, and homeless services. It was on the basis that housing first is really the only solution. At the end of the day, it was going to be about 60% of the money was going to go towards building brick and mortar housing, and the remainder was going to go towards shelter and services like mental health, addiction, disability, stuff like that. So organizing for something like this, putting effort in for months and months, and then eventually, Seattle City Council has a unanimous decision to pass a version of this tax. When that happened, how, how were the organizers feeling about the success? It was a big relief. It was nine months of hard work making sure that this happened. Now, it didn't really quite feel like a full victory that day that it passed because there was this kind of feeling that it wasn't quite over yet because two weeks before, Amazon had threatened to halt construction on a large project that they were working on downtown in Seattle. And then also they threatened to start subleasing the office space in another building that they were putting up as opposed to them investing the money in more jobs here in Seattle. So that set off a chain reaction that got the building trade unions up in arms, especially the iron workers, because the majority of construction projects that are coming through right now are either directly out of construction for Amazon or their high-rise luxury housing units. So yeah, it didn't feel quite right. And I think that feeling in our gut was pretty right because literally the next day, a conglomerate of large business interests that would be affected by this tax raised $350,000 in a day to put a repeal ballot in our midterm elections in 2018. Must be nice to have the resources to just raise that much money in one day. That just blows my mind. <laughs> the scale of it yeah. is crazy. <laughs> so this no tax on jobs campaign appeared out of this. And they had to collect about 17,000 verified signatures. So for raw signatures, you want to get twenty-five to 30,000. So at the start, they were paying their paid signature gatherers $4 per signature. And just for reference, most referendum petitions are paying $1 per signature. So they were getting people that were out there gathering petitions already to push this one first because they were making a larger amount on it. So the Transit Writers Union got together with 
a couple of the labor unions in town, SEIU 775 and SEIU 1199, as well as we were working with Working Washington. And we started the Bring Seattle Home campaign, which was a massive voter education and decline to sign campaign. And it's a really interesting process, basically cat and mouse, because you've got a team of people scouting for petition gatherers. And then we would send out an educator to go stand and make sure that as they were trying to get signatures for it, that people really knew what this was about. Because those signature gatherers, and they were saying things like that the head tax would come out of employees' checks, that it would actually harm the homeless, or that it was going to stop job growth in Seattle. Oftentimes, they wouldn't even talk about the fact that all this money was going to be going towards solving homelessness. So then these tactics work. They repealed the law. That must be devastating. Are you familiar with encampment sweeps, encampment removals through the city? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I've been personally doing a lot of work with the ACLU trying to make sure that as these are happening, that the rules that are in place surrounding them are being followed and that there's an accountability for police officers and city workers so that in this moment where the small amount of stability that they have achieved is being completely uprooted, that their civil rights and other liberties are not being infringed on. So two days after the head tax was repealed by the council, I went to an encampment removal and it was really very heartbreaking because, you know, I've been doing this work for about a year and I've been to maybe 40 encampment removals over the course of the year. And every single one that I've been at, you know, I've had this driving force behind me, right? Like, yes, I'm here in this situation right now is really awful. But you know what, I'm in City Hall, I'm going to be there this afternoon, and we are fighting to get funding for housing and for the services that you need so that we can get you where you need to be, where you want to be, into housing, into the right kind of services. When I was there that time, I didn't have that. There's nothing. You know, that was going to be $47 million. It was going to create about 1,500 new low-income housing units, 1,200 shelter beds, which doesn't solve the entire problem, but it was going to be a serious down payment on moving forward. And now we're just right back at square one, and homelessness is only growing in Seattle. We're literally in a state of emergency. Like two and a half years ago, the mayor declared a civil state of emergency. And to me, it seems like it was to do lip service to make it look like we're working on a problem without actually doing anything about it. We now go to a barbershop in Seattle. Hey, Mikey, my favorite customer. How are you doing? Doing great, doing great. Just getting a bit shaggy oh, up yeah, here. Oh, yeah, looking a little long in the top. <laughs> hey, well, there's nothing I can't fix. Why don't you sit down over here? Just put the towel and uh, this little smock. Are you aware of the function of the smock? Keep hair off my clothes? Yeah, that's exactly it. And who's that handsome guy there in the mirror? <laughs> Come on. You. That's you in the mirror. That's oh, who I'm no. looking at. <laughs> no, no. So last time you had short on the sides, usually you go for the fade. Yeah, let's go back to the fade. I appreciated the suggestion, but we'll go back to the fade. Cool, 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 cool. And for the beard. Ooh, you know I love that straight razor. I could take it all towel. off. No, you got a half decent jaw. Maybe leave the goatee. Oh, tight goat. I love it. A tight goat? Is that what Yeah, you... yeah, tight goatee. Yeah, no, I just hadn't heard anyone shorten it like that. Oh, no, what? That's on me. I just came from BarberCon. Oh. Uh, so I was hanging out with other barbers. Right. We sort of have our own slang. Jargon. I should yeah. just say a well-trimmed goatee. But you should hear them over at BarberCon. It's tight goat, tight goat. Tight, tight goat, goat only means one thing at BarberCon, where it yeah. can mean a number of things elsewhere. I didn't even think of that. That's You're wild, man. So excited to get this haircut. 
who boy do I need it. I really appreciate what you do for me. Oh, happy to, happy to. That's why I'm a barber. That's why I charge you, frankly, 15 bucks. Great price, to be honest. Well, thank you. You know, most people choose to tip on top of that, make it around 20. You got a job, right? actually sweep homeless camps. Oh, you sweep homeless camps. Yep. Sorry, can you tilt your head forward? Sure, yeah. Thank you. You sweep up for the homeless and help keep their camps clean? Or Oh, no, no. Sorry. Yeah, it should be uh, more Keep explicit. your head down. Keep your head down. What we mean by sweeping up homeless camps is sweeping all of their possessions, like the tents and whatever other stuff that's accumulated. We sweep it all into the garbage and kind of clean the area up again. What happens to homeless people in the camp when you make them leave where they were living? Oh, they just go... Where do they sleep that night? I don't know. We don't deal with that. But the space is cleaned up. That reminds me of something. I had a client earlier today. He wanted a pompadour with a temple fade. Looked incredible on him, by the way. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. But you're always pushing that pompadour, so I don't know. I don't trust you. Oh, stop. I'm not asking you to take a pompadour. I think a pompadour would look good on you. Don't get me wrong. I know you think that. It's well, been Well, I'm just noted. saying. I'm not even bringing that up. I'm just saying that I did a pompadour for someone earlier in a temple fade. It looked great on him, and he had something great to say. Oh, what did he have to say? He said, sometimes it just is how it is. Yeah, that's great wisdom. This is why I love talking to you. I love the haircuts you give me, but I also love the conversation. Well, you're such a sweet guy. On an interpersonal level, you treat me so nice. I can only imagine the same is true systemically. The role that you play in society probably has the same character as your interpersonal sort of personality. Yeah, you know, I never thought about it. Makes logical sense. Taking the buzzer now. I'm going to go up around the corners here. Yeah. Ooh. Doctor, barber surgeon, construction worker, person who pushes homeless people out of their tents in the night and destroys all their possessions. All just like neutral jobs in, in society. society. Yeah, you can kind of see the village people being each one of those. Oh, part of the fabric that keeps everything together. That is my favorite village people video where there's the construction worker, there's the doctor, there's the Indian chief, there's the person that pushes homeless people out of their homes, and there's a police officer. Yeah, I really felt the YMCA video was missing out on, like when they dropped the fifth person. Anyway. Political correctness, man. It's crazy. It was nice to see myself up on the screen. Okay, so I've got the hot razor here, and I'm going to bring it in from the sides. Whoop. Oh, it looks good on this side. And now to bring it in for a tight goat. Uh, sorry, a well-trimmed goatee. Feedback noted. Hope. You know, I always appreciate how you can do a full shave on both sides with just two swipes. Well, uh, you know, it's a barber's life out here. Well, here is your $20. I also took the feedback about the tip. Here you go. To, oh, I to didn't next mean time. you. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much. It's the right thing to do. You know, I can't believe I haven't been doing it. So You haven't been doing it? I didn't even think of that. Oh, come on. You must have noticed. You're sweet for pretending that you didn't, but message received loud and clear. So after this tax that was going to generate a lot of revenue to build housing for vulnerable people and, and, and help make sure that people won't have to live on the streets of Seattle anymore, following the capital strike, the outrage from the business community and the organizing efforts that they put a lot of money into, Seattle City Council made the decision, I think, eight to two to repeal this tax. And the justification that at least some of them gave that I saw uh, reported on was that they were worried that not only was the tax going to be repealed, but they were going to all be removed from office over that tax. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's hard because like, Logically, I understand their position because by the end of the referendum campaign, 
the Seattle Times had run about 40 articles against the head tax and lots of money was going into Facebook ads, ads on television. The hard thing about this is every single large media outlet like cable news and stuff like that, they would have had to pay the head tax. So <laughs> it was in their best interest to work with big business to make sure that this thing failed. As someone who values a progressive city council, which we do have right now, I see their point. As an organizer, I'm really frustrated that we didn't have the opportunity to have the fight. If I had to put my money on it, we probably would have still lost because they had already pledged $2 million more dollars if the thing was going to go to the ballot. And like that is how much gets spent on like a small U.S. Senate campaign. Like This is a municipal tax, right? <laughs> So I, I don't think we would have necessarily won, but what the city council seemed to be really worried about is that if this was a major victory for a big business, if they really threw down and made the city council look like fools, controlled the narrative, that big business was going to be able to have a public mandate and in the elections for city council next year, just run their slate unopposed, which that reality also scares me, right? So I'm still being pulled in two different directions where like, as someone who is a movement builder, it's hard to build a movement when you don't have an issue to build a movement around. I mean, homelessness is a big issue, but when we had the head tax, like that was a very specific thing that we could hone in on and talk about the regressive tax structures in Washington state and how this was going to be progressive because it was going to affect big business and not small business and not middle class and working class and poor and homeless people like a sales tax or property tax would. It's so hard for me to imagine being the person who is like, I'm going to make the decision to spend millions of dollars on an ad campaign so that I don't have to spend a few more millions of dollars on housing homeless people. Like, it's just such a messed up calculus that gives me the heebie-jeebies. But then also, you have this progressive city council, and still they get stopped by all these efforts. It's like, okay, like it's good to have progressive members in the city council there, but then like... <laughs> they're, to they're, they're progressive up in their head, but the policies are strictly determined based on the millions of dollars in ads that, that their opponents buy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really tricky, right? And I, I mean, I think it comes back down to the movement building aspect that, yes, we had organized to get this tax passed, but we hadn't really done the deep organizing to make sure that once the thing passed, that we could hold on to it, that we could hold on to public opinion in the face of an onslaught of up to millions of dollars being thrown at a public misinformation campaign. As a movement, there's probably three or 400 really solid activists that show up at City Hall and will write a letter to their council member and do that work. But it, we didn't have the capacity to actually keep the public opinion where it needed to be. If we had been able to really do a massive canvas campaign, gotten those one-on-one -on -one conversations and really educated people about how this was actually really a good thing for them, if the city council felt like 70% of the city wasn't going to go up in arms if they kept the tax on the books, then I think that the story would have been different. It has made it difficult to necessarily trust the electoral process as an agent of change, but it also in no small way revealed the Trump wave in Seattle. And now we know what their playbook is. And we may have lost the public opinion battle 
in Seattle, but I'd say 90% of the coverage nationally has been really critical of what Amazon and big business in Seattle did to harm the homeless population. And so having been through all of this crazy bullshit <laughs> going back and forth and all this stuff and Bezos tightening his his pocketbook he's like oh no 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 Seattle <laughs> you're a democratically elected council can't pass laws not while I'm holding on right. to the money what's next the organizing group behind this are they regrouping to continue this fight or looking at alternative tactics for for how to find progressive revenue sources to help deal with the homelessness problem we're kind of figuring out what that looks like now. It's tricky because just the words head tax or employee hours tax, those are poisonous words right now in Seattle. No possibility, I think, of getting anything like that passed again in the near future. But I, I really think that kind of what I was talking about, the movement building aspect and really deeply organizing, getting out there and having those one-on-one -on -one conversations, not with people who are already on the left, who are already on our side, but with the people who were either undecided or were swayed, but, you know, they want to think of themselves as progressives. They'll put up the Black Lives Matter, all are welcome here, this, that, and the other, but they don't want a homeless person in their street. There's a lot of cognitive dissonance. And really, I think that there's almost like this strangely libertarian streak within Seattle that exists, I think, because our tax structure is so regressive. It is true that low-income, middle-income people pay about 20% of their income through sales and property taxes to the state, whereas because it's all sales and property tax, people in the top 1% pay like 2% of their entire income. So it's completely upside down, and the tax structure should be the other way around. But people that are middle class, people that are poor, have been really run through the ringer on taxes, especially in the past few years. You know, as prices are going up for things, as property values are rising, there's like this tax fatigue. And it was framed in a way that it was going to hurt them, that it was going to hurt their job prospects, that it was going to hurt people's livelihoods. And that just wasn't true. But if we can really get in and do the education piece to really show that, that can be the basis for not only getting some progressive revenue sources on the books at a municipal level, but really the end game here is getting an income tax in Washington state. Awesome. Well, thanks for all the work that you've done on this issue. I know that people who do hard, good work for good reasons don't often get Lamborghinis and yachts out of it. So I, I just I want to <laughs> thank you for putting in the effort because it, I think it really matters. And, and, even if when we have these setbacks, the media coverage that we get about it, the increased awareness of what Amazon's business practices are like, the increased awareness of the powers of organized capital's ability to sort of stand up against people making decisions about their own communities for their own self-interest and benefit. You know, it's a silver lining to this, but I, I think it's a kind of shitty silver lining compared to actually housing the homeless. But <laughs> <laughs> I do feel like there is progress being made in the realm of ideas here. So yeah, I just want to thank you for the work you're doing and also for coming on the show to share your perspective. Is there any way that people can online, you know, keep up with the campaign and the next steps towards getting a progressive income tax in Washington to tax the shit out of Bezos? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Go to transitwriters.org. 
and just check out our website. There's a way that you can sign up for our newsletter there, and we're still going strong. Like right now, we're working on a campaign to get free transit passes for all University of Washington employees, and then there's talk about trying to kind of figure out the political viability of what would it look like if every worker in Seattle had a free transit pass, things like that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But, you know, we've got big ideas and we're going to be doing a lot of things that you haven't seen yet. So definitely go to transitwriters.org and uh, sign up for our newsletter. Just check out what we're doing and see what we've done and where we're going and we'll be around. Awesome. Thanks so much. Have a good one, man. Thank you for having me. This Jeff Bezos guy, play dumb for a second. Who is he? Oh, he's the uh, CEO of Amazon, founded the company. And actually, I was just reading about Amazon and their work conditions around the world, which are apparently really deplorable. They have this intricate tracking system for people who work on the floor. They're aware of exactly how many packages per hour they're processing. Workers have reported in the UK that they're choosing to pee in bottles under their desk instead of going to the bathroom. Right. I heard about that. (laughs) (laughs) Because if they go to the bathroom, that means they're going to be able to process less packages and you can get fired for not doing enough. And the way that they fire you is really actually an incredible innovation. It's that they text you at home using an automated system. So no person actually decides to fire you. It's that if you fall below a certain point in their algorithm, you get a text at home (laughs) firing you. Just completely like dehumanize the already dehumanizing process of telling someone that the way they're making a living is ending. And an interesting anecdote is actually because they didn't specifically program the system to not do this, some workers have been fired on Christmas Day when they're with their families. (laughs) (laughs) That's so intense. That's (laughs) That's the real thing. There's been like multiple instances of Amazon warehouses refusing to install air conditioning. And so in super warm places, it could get over 100 degrees Fahrenheit, like over 40 something degrees Celsius. I don't know what 100 is. Mm. It's like... Amazon's ever the innovator. So they, when <laughs> right. when that was happening, they figured out something they, really great. Yeah, they did come up with a solution. Is you park ambulances outside. <laughs> so if anyone passes out from heat exhaustion, you can take them to the hospital quickly. <laughs> now, we should say Bezos is the richest man on earth. Yeah, the richest man on earth. Uh, he's even passed the record that was formerly set by Bill Gates. In 1999, Bill Gates had something like $102 billion, which adjusted for inflation would be about $149 billion today. Bezos has passed that at $151 billion in 2018 money. And he's just like skyrocketing up. Like we went on a podcast, Revolutionary Left Radio, and I was just looking at my notes from that show that we did. And I wrote down Bezos net worth $120 billion. It's yep. just like a few months ago. Yeah. And it's, it's how his assets are appreciating. Yeah. He has a lot of Amazon stock. Now, there's a lot of reason to criticize Jeff Bezos, and specifically the role he plays as the richest man in the world. Yeah, and also the role as the CEO of a company that does all, like, even if he's not making all these decisions individually, he is ultimately responsible for them all because he could change them if he wanted to. He could have air-conditioned warehouses. He could not fire people on Christmas. He could not track people's every single package and let them just have, like, a human existence while they're fulfilling orders. Yeah. Yeah. And Jeff Bezos wouldn't disagree with you there. The value that he brings to the Amazon company by his own words is 
to ensure that the culture is maintained. Now, Amazon is a brutally socially Darwinist organization that actively pushes people to their limit until they break, even in management roles. He actually sends a yearly letter to his employees, which is full of advice. (laughs) (laughs) Is any of the advice like form a union and organize to get fair work conditions? No, no. That would be my advice to his workers. It's really honestly stuff closer to work yourself to death. This is extensively documented if you just want to search up. You search Amazon work conditions, you're going to get a lot of reading. So anyways, yeah, that's Jeff, quote, richest man in the world, end quote, Bezos. That's the 101 on that. Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is brought to you by the incontrovertible fact that Jeff Bezos did not create $150 billion of wealth himself. Jeff Bezos had help. He couldn't have done it on his own. So many possible ways to go with this, but just think about all the people who work for Amazon. They each created a part of that wealth. Think of the manufacturers who create the products that are sold on Amazon. And then think of all the employees who work for all those manufacturers uh, doing the work on the ground. There's so many of them, and each of them played a part in creating that wealth. Every government in every country that Amazon delivers to has employed human beings to engineer and construct roadways. And each of those people helped create that $150 billion. All of the people involved in the creation and development of the internet into the amazing tool that it is today. They, they all played a part in creating that $150 billion in wealth. Every single person who has ever shopped at Amazon played a part in creating that $150 billion in wealth. I could go on and on, but Amazon's success and Jeff Bezos's personal wealth are all dependent on society. That wealth was created by all of us and it belongs to all of us. At least a substantial portion of it does. Proud sponsor of today's Seriously Wrong. Uh, Mr. Bezos, the richest man in the world, your uh, friend from high school is here. Should I let him in to your office? Oh, yes, please. Please do send him in. Hey, Jeff, how's it going? Uh, Hey there, Michael. (laughs) How have you been? (laughs) So good. And so good to see you. It's been, I haven't seen you since high school, and holy it's crap, been, Amazon, like, yeah, what no, the it's, heck? <laughs> it's pretty big. It's one of the largest companies now. It's Yeah, no, I, I would have called you earlier, but I just didn't want you to think I was coming after you for money or something. Like, old high school friend calls mm-hmm. up Jeff all of a sudden. He yeah, wants uh, to talk. calls up the richest man in the world. Yeah, right. You are the richest man yeah, in the world. I am. My old buddy Jeff from high school. <laughs> if you could call me the richest man in the world instead of... Oh, you want uh, me to call you name? that? Yeah. Like, for example, you said, hi, Jeff. Yeah. Um, and I'd prefer if you would say, hi, the richest man in the world. Oh, well, that's different. You never wanted me to do that when we were in high school. Yeah. Well, a few things have changed since then. I don't yeah. know. Just like Jeff's one syllable, the richest man in the world is seven syllables. Yeah. I mean, I am more than just a Jeff, aren't I? More than just a Jeff. I don't know if that sentence makes sense. What does just a Jeff mean? What's wrong with... Jeff's. Jeff's, they're... <sighs> Jeff's... Jeff's are really, uh, well, 
part of the crowd. They're just anonymous. They're like me in high school, you know? Just, yeah, you were great. I loved you in high school. Yeah, but Best I buzz. was really I was really just a Jeff, wasn't I? And now I am the richest man in the world. No, you are. You definitely I'm are. I'm not a Jeff. I'm not a Jeff anymore. Uh okay. Well, uh the richest man in the world. I came here, I wanted to ask my buddy Jeff if he wanted to go grab a drink, but it seems like Jeff's changed. The richest, you're the richest man in the world. So. Well, if you want to find a Jeff, look in the phone book. Well, I just didn't want a Jeff. I wanted my old buddy, Jeff, but maybe he's gone. I don't know. Maybe he is, Michael. Okay. Do you know the way out? Yeah, yeah, it's that door right there. There's only the one Good. door. Probably won't see you again, I don't think. It, this wasn't pleasant, so... Okay, Goodbye well, forever. yeah, take care. Take care. Let me just pull up my master console here. Let's see what Michael's been buying. Oh, yeah, I have all that information. <laughs> uh, I mean, interesting what you chose to buy, Michael. <laughs> uh, last use of the Kindle yesterday, 8.30 p.m.? Oh, and you were reading erotica. <laughs> oh, the richest man in the world. <laughs> let's uh, let's see what Jeff has been reading. Oh, Jeff doesn't have a profile. Jeff is dead. We now go back to Mario and Luigi, who are trying to figure out what to do about the Jeff Bezos problem. Damn it, he just won another race. I didn't even get to the third lap, he's, and he's already done. That was fucked, man. You know, we all have winning streaks. Yeah. For a while there, Yoshi was creaming us. It was a regular thing. Yoshi, Yoshi, Yoshi. And yeah, yeah it was infuriating, but it gave up eventually, and it wasn't by this much. Yeah, it, it, we got to do something about it. Yeah, I don't know. Like, do you want to get a night gang together and put a bag over his head and throw him off a bridge? You know, I don't, I don't know. It just doesn't, it's not appealing to me. Yeah, it feels out of character for me. Yeah. And it's also, I don't know if it would solve the problem. I don't know, we could talk to him, be like, hey, let someone else win once in a while, maybe. Yeah, that's what we did with Yoshi, but Yoshi was always a good sport about it. Bezos won't even talk to me. I go over there, and he just turns the other way. And so it's so arrogant. Yeah, it is really arrogant. And, like, I mean, I have you for a brother. Mm, yeah, I introduce you to a lot of interesting experiences. I teach you a lot. That's true. Maybe we just need an item. Let's get an item. Yeah, let's just order an item to take him out. Knock him back a bit. Mushroom Kingdom stores are already closed for the day, but um, we could go, uh, we could order some items on Amazon. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's just head over to Amazon. So convenient. Yeah, I'm a big night shopper myself, so. I do shop during the day, but I just prefer not to leave the house a lot of the time, so. Oh, cool. Interesting. Yeah. So what, t t t uh, what items? Bananas? He's in first. Like a banana goes behind you. Unless he's, I mean, you catch he does him on a lap. Us a lot of yeah. times, but like, it's also non-targeted. Anyone could run over a banana peel. We might just end up punching down. Yeah. What about a star? A star makes you invincible. I don't know. Like it might help someone catch up to him, but it's not going to, yeah, we really need to level the playing field yeah, here. It's, this it's, is, it's, it's too individual a solution. Ex exactly. Yeah. The star is like individualistic, sort of like becoming great rather than making it fair, you know? It, yeah. The squid guy puts ink in everyone's eyes. I don't know what the metaphor would be for 
income inequality and it's not targeted enough you put ink in everyone's eyes like yeah bezos might fall back a bit but the person in last place is also going to fall back a bit and you know they're part of who we're trying to help same thing with the lightning, lightning. bolt. Yeah, yeah, turns everyone small. That's like a fascist item. It's like you're the great yeah. cart racer and everyone else is small and you can run over them. There's mushrooms and the golden mushroom, yeah, but again, individual fast. solution. Yeah, then there's green shells and red shells. Red shell is pretty good in that it's homing. Yeah. It homes the person in, in front of you. you're in place. Well, actually, do you know what the perfect metaphor is? The one item that is not an individualistic bourgeois solution to this problem, but is rather a truly proletarian great equalizer, something that is impersonal and which seeks to abolish a role rather than the individual in it. Do you know the item I'm talking about? Yeah, I can't believe we didn't think of this sooner. It's a spiny blue shell. The blue shell. We got a blue shell Bezos. We got a blue shell Bezos. The blue shell goes first place in Mario Kart, hits the person in first place, and then moves them back, usually second, third, fourth place. Yeah, and like the great thing about this as a metaphor is that it's not just going to knock him back, but everything that is taken from him can be redistributed to the people who need it the most in society. Yeah, actually, I was just reading Data for Progress did some public polling in the United States. They found that 33% of Americans support a 90% tax on income above a million dollars, which was their Wait. version of a maximum income plan. 33% of people supported that? Yeah, it was 33 to 35. 35 against, 33 for. And then the rest were undecided? Yeah, or, undecided yeah, yeah, yeah. or neither strongly for nor against. Which kind of blew my mind to read. I was like, that seems like more than I thought would support yeah, yeah, radical yeah. Like, redistribution. I do, <laughs> I do a leftist podcast and like, you're just very in favor of redistribution of wealth. And I think if someone asked me that question, I might be like, oh, that's a bit extreme. Like, I don't know if I've just internalized too much market rhetoric but i feel like that might actually not work it's interesting in the the, the <laughs> but uh, i love the spirit behind it <laughs> the article about it in new york magazine framed that as because most of the things they're talking about more people are for it than against it like right, right, making right. generic drugs making universal health care like a bunch of really great stuff it's a fascinating poll but they were like, oh, you know, this one, more people are against than for it. It's kind of a loss. And it's like 33 to 35. Yeah, 33%. That's one in three people support a very aggressive maximum wage. So th there might be political support for a blue shell in a yeah, real sense. I mean, yeah, hearing what you just said, and especially if you frame it as blue shell, because everyone knows about Mario Kart. Yeah, everyone's played Mario Kart at least once. The blue shell tax plan. Okay, wait, yeah, but like, how does it work? Okay, so we want to knock Bezos from first back to fourth, like a blue shell. Uh -huh. So Bezos is in first place. He's got 150 billion. Who's in fourth right now? Bernard Arnault. Uh, he's the Louis Vuitton guy. Oh, he's got French seven business magnate. Magnate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with a cool 72 bill, Bernard Arnault, the French business magnate, finds himself in fourth place. 72 billion. So that means to get Bezos underneath him, we'd have to take at least 79 billion. 78 would make them equal. 79 would put him a bill below. That's a lot. Maybe we can just even send him back to third. I don't know. Let's say we take 60, 70 billion from Bezos. The other thing about the blue shell is that you can't know when it's coming. So yeah. it has to be randomized in some way. I'm thinking five-year cycles, but you don't know when within the five-year cycle it's going to hit. So this way we get these massive influxes of wealth reliably twice every decade, but at different times. As far as the tax plan goes, it's really interesting. I don't know of any other tax plan that has randomized 
times that it hits like that. It it, yeah. it, it, it I don't directly know if I addresses wealth. It's a wealth tax taking from the people who have the most and using it to solve some of these problems like homelessness around America. And Yeah, I mean, and the, the social ill that we face with homelessness and poverty, we absolutely need to completely focus on that as a society. Jeff Bezos has referred to the money that he has as his, his winnings. And he said that the only thing he can think of to do with it is to go to space, which is a failure of imagination in my view. I think that he should consider fighting to eradicate poverty and other human oh, beings yeah 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 the species that he's a part of allegedly hey, he's a I rep i think he's definitely a human you're right he's not a reptile he's a human jeff's weakness is all of our weakness i think if we were 150 billionaires yeah no that's a really really important point that you brought up is that by dehumanizing the powerful as reptilians and othering them from the human race then we don't take the burdensome ownership of realizing that we're all capable of wrongdoing yeah really really on key point but this blue shell tax plan man i don't know i am all about this i think it's great i think people will get behind it that stat you just threw at me 33 percent. and this is even less radical than that i think this isn't going to affect everyone who makes over a million dollars this is going to affect one guy every five years so i support it you support it that's two a basic sanity check right we, we need to get three. a third person do you want to call matt lang back and see what he thinks yeah that sounds great yeah let's get the big giant phone and we'll heave it up and ah oh, so heavy hello hey matt just one more question we wanted to ask you okay sure do you play mario kart have you ever played mario kart <laughs> uh, yeah, I realized a few months ago that whenever I'm driving through a yellow light, the sound that I make is the same sound that Toad makes when he's hitting the booster. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Wahoo! Yeah. yeah, I played a lot of Mario Kart. Anyway. <laughs> so w one of my favorite things about Mario Kart, you know, it's a great game. It's a family game. It's not just a game for the people at the top. It's a game for everyone. That's one of the things I like about uh, <laughs> I like about Mario Kart. And one of the ways that's embodied is this wonderful item that you can pick up when you're falling behind. It's the blue shell. Uh -huh. <laughs> and so I was looking at the richest human beings on Earth. And Jeff Bezos is number one right now. Mm -hmm. And if we blue shelled him, I think we could probably tackle the homelessness problem, not just in Seattle, but across the country. Yeah. So would you support a people's blue shell taking out Jeff Bezos? Like uh, at a national level? Yeah, um, I guess like a national <laughs> level, sort of like wealth tax. First place to fourth place. I know it kind of sucks, but you're still in fourth place, dog. You can catch up. Have you looked at how fast, like he's making like a billion dollars every two weeks. So he's going to get back up there, first of all. Secondly, yes, absolutely. Um, but we have the wrong president for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. He's insulted Bezos before, probably for the wrong reasons. But maybe we could somehow trick him. He doesn't really seem to be deep on the analysis. I don't know. You're probably right, but I don't. maybe we could convince him. <laughs> we don't know if Trump plays Mario Kart or not. You know, that that actually might be a good, uh, good way to go about it. I bet you he does. I, I bet you he plays Bowser, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he would play bowser okay awesome well thanks for coming on the show matthew all right take care guys all right so sanity check passed matthew lang's on board yeah I, I mean i think it's a good idea i mean it might be good to talk to someone who's got a little more expertise right yeah like someone who works in economics maybe at a left-wing think tank who yeah, like puts a, out reports a policy wonk sort of yeah, on the left yeah that, that's what we need do we know anyone like that maybe someone also named matt yes yeah uh matt brunick, matt brunick. Just up the street. oh yeah i f forgot that we knew him 
Yeah, he's the founder of the People's Policy Project. They're a left-wing think tank that deals with stuff exactly like this. Oh, that's um, perfect. Maybe we can just go talk to him and see what he thinks. Well, two steps ahead of you, I actually, very luckily, had a chance to sit down with him earlier today and ask him about exactly this. Oh, holy cow, that's convenient. Can I listen to the interview? Is it here? Here's the tape. If you want to pop it in and hit yeah, play. Let's pop it in and hit play. Thanks for coming on the show, Matt. First sort of quick question I have for you is how much Mario Kart do you play like in real life? I, I don't play much these days, but you know, when I was younger, I played Mario Kart on Super Nintendo and N64 briefly. And so I'm familiar with it. Perfect. And my second quick question is why does poverty exist? So, I mean, there are two basic factors, you know, for a country to have low poverty or no poverty, it needs to produce enough stuff to go around and then it actually needs to spread that stuff around. And so for some countries, the production is so low that poverty is kind of hard to avoid. But for other countries that are developed and have very high GDPs, it's really just a matter of, of spreading it around, make sure disabled people get income, make sure that children get income, people who don't otherwise get money in a capitalist system, that they get incomes. That's like 90% of it. These groups, you're connecting to poverty. Can you expand on that? Yeah. So I've done a poverty report on the US every year for the last three or four years, I think. And what I do is I just go into our census microdata. They put out the survey data they use to calculate poverty rates and stuff like that. And you get the whole thing. So you get 100,000 plus people, all their information. It's all anonymized, but you can use it to figure out you know, what's going on, who are the poor, and why are they poor, and that sort of thing. And what you find is about 80% or more of poor people either fall into one of six categories. They're either a child under the age of 18, they're elderly over the age of 65, they are disabled, they are unemployed or they had an unemployment spell during that year, they are students in school, or they are stay-at-home caregivers. Those are the six groups that make up 80% of all poor people. And then for the remaining 20%, you have people who are working, but even for them, a lot of them are only poor because they're living with someone who is in one of those six categories. So you might work, but you have a disabled uh, parent that you're living with and you end up poor because of that. And so the upshot of that to me is, look, if you can get a good welfare state for those groups of people, for children, elderly, disabled, students, caregivers, and the unemployed, if you can get them set up with a decent income benefits, then that will pretty much wipe out poverty. And that's what you see in countries like Denmark or Finland, where poverty is so, so low, is they just have a really aggressive welfare state that provides generous cash benefits to those groups of people. And that doesn't solve overall inequality in society, because that's a thing that goes up and down the income ladder. But when you're really talking about the poorest of the poor, the people who end up poor in very developed countries, it's those groups of people. And the proximate reason why they're poor is pretty obvious. If you're in those groups of people, you're very work limited, right? Children don't work at all. Elderly people are retired. Disabled people are generally work limited. Those are people who, because they don't work, they don't get income from the system in the normal way, right? Through a paycheck. And so you got to get income to them through some other mechanism. And that's what the welfare state is able to do. So my co-host Aaron's designed a tax plan, which we've been calling the blue shell. 
in Mario Kart Nintendo 64 edition, they introduced the blue shell, which goes up and it hits whoever's in first place and it will knock them back. And so the blue shell tax plan basically works. The richest individual in the country is taxed. They're moved from first place to fourth place. It happens roughly every three to five years on a randomized basis, so people can't predict it. And the money is always guaranteed to go towards some sort of massively pressing social ill. Do you think an idea like this could work? Yeah, I mean, it's so narrowly targeted that it seems like it probably would work I mean, the usual issues people will bring up with, you know, soaking the rich generally is, well, it's going to sap incentives and that kind of stuff. But the incentive to be the fourth richest person in the world versus the first affects, you know, only three human beings in the world. And it's unlikely that whatever the difference between those has anything to do with effort is like obviously entirely luck based. So yeah, even Bezos I, calls it his winnings. Yeah, I mean, you know, well, I, I, I made this company and it, it just kind of blew up, you know, like there's no way he could have predicted or thought that Amazon was going to become as big or successful as it was. And for everyone who's below the fourth richest person in the world, there's still a lot of incentive for them to continue to, you know, accumulate and that sort of thing. So I, I think it it probably would be fine. It would be an interesting gimmick. I guess the main question is, well, if, if it is that narrowly targeted, then how much money can you really expect to get out of it on a regular basis? Like Bezos is, what do you say? He's $75 billion. That's yeah. how much you would get out of him? Yeah. So that'd be the first time. And then the second time, that'd be Bill Gates going down to... <laughs> so it's Bill Gates losing $40 billion. Right. Assuming that nothing significantly changes in the next five years. Right. Well, and so, I mean, it also would do a number of things. Bill Gates is a good example of someone who at least I haven't looked into his financials exactly, but he's saying he's going to give all the money away. Right. And so if you're Jeff Bezos, if you're the number one person and you know you're the number one person and you know that it's just a matter of time before you're going to get zapped, then you might as well just start shoving your money out to charitable enterprises or doing something with it because otherwise it's just going to get grabbed. So that would not be necessarily a negative outcome either if you're like, oh, well, I'll I'll just flush it out to charity in order to get down to fourth and make sure I'm not the one who gets zapped or get down to second, I guess, and make sure I'm not the one who gets zapped. So that that could be another plausible outcome. But yeah, like I said, I think it it could be somewhat limited, right? Because like 75 billion, that is, I think, about as much as the U.S. spends on food stamps each year, our food voucher program for poor people. So, you know, it's not it's not that much. Yeah, it's a nice one-time soaking of, of A-rich, but it's not the systemic change that we need, maybe. One of the things that about Amazon is they do this thing where they make all the municipalities and states bend over backwards to move over their operations there. Like, oh, you move here and we'll cut $7 billion off your taxes and we'll make a gold statue of Jeff Bezos. And for me, I feel like it would be a fair, at a very minimum, to like look at all these evaded taxes and then make Amazon pay those taxes. When you have a company systemically avoiding taxes that the head of is the richest man on earth, maybe we should figure out all the money they avoided paying, all the tricks that they pulled to avoid paying taxes, and at the very least, get that back from Amazon, or maybe get that back from Bezos itself. Does that make sense to you as like something that is a political priority? Yeah, I mean, it's a little hard with taxes that were at the time not 
legally required. I mean, because that, that's really what's the big thing is for whatever reason, I think it was the Supreme Court in the US, though they recently reversed this, was saying that states couldn't charge sales tax for online uh, purchases. And so that was sort of the law of the period. So it's a little hard, I guess, to go backwards and try to say after the fact that you have to remit these taxes. But I do think that with a company like Amazon, one of the things you could do is, you know, one way or another, try to get them to at least fork over some of the equity of the company. Because that's really where Bezos money is coming from is he owns a lot of Amazon stock and that stock's value keeps going up and up. And so I think it would be fair to say, hey, why don't you give 20% of Amazon stock to the federal government? And then, you know, at least then the value of that stock as it goes up, that goes to benefit everyone in the country, assuming the federal government uses that money for a social purpose. That I think would be a pretty clean way to go that still gives him leeway and incentive to do whatever he does managing Amazon. According to Jeff Bezos, his number one job right now is maintaining the culture at Amazon, which if you read about the culture at Amazon, there's a lot of like vigorous sort of like Darwinian competition between people in the workplace. Yeah, there was a New York Times article about it a few years ago that made it sound really brutal. And that and it, that was about their uh, white collar jobs as, as well. Not and that wasn't even to get into the warehouses, which seem like really hellish places to work. But even like the white collar coder jobs were like, you needed yeah. to put everything in at 15 hours a day, people getting squeezed out if they couldn't keep up and that sort of thing. So not a good model for the economy as a whole. Welcome back to Bezos' Billions, what to do with the Bezos bucks. I'm your host, Sean. This is my co-host, Aaron. Hi there. And we're going to go through what exactly you could do with $70 billion of Jeff Bezos' money. So the blue shell tax has been implemented. We now have 70 billion Bezos bucks. What are we going to do with it? So let's just spitball, throw things out here. The first thing that comes to mind is that we could buy about 1.3 billion copies of Mario Kart 8 for Nintendo Switch. That'd be a good investment. That's enough for about one copy of Mario Kart 8 for Nintendo Switch for every person in Africa. That's pretty good. I had a similar thought or suggestion. We could actually buy two copies of The Dispossessed by Ursula K. Le Guin for everyone on Earth. Everyone could just have two. Oh, yeah, in case they lose the first one? Yeah. That's perfect. It's a great book. It was headlines last year, gold-plated chicken wings available in Los Angeles. Mm. Crunch the numbers. You could get about 15.5 billion gold-plated chicken wings. So it's a little over two gold-plated chicken wings per person. Just two. People will eat that up really fast. Uh, Something that would last. With $70 billion, you could buy 1.7 billion bidet attachments for toilets. We definitely save a lot of toilet paper. That'd be an investment in the future of the planet. And I mean, like, just in the cleanliness of a lot of North Americans' anuses. Strange that they don't use bidets for the most part, whereas other parts of the world, it's quite common. Let's say you want to go go-karting. 
Mm. Well, you can go go-karting 31,404,217 times and use a different go-kart each time. Like purchase a go-kart? Every time you ride the go-kart once. That's the Trailmaster 150 XRS go-kart, which from what I can tell is a top-of-the-line adult go-kart. You said like 31 million? 31 million. That's that's pretty close to just buying one go-kart for everyone in Canada, alternatively. Yeah, it's about one go-kart for every person in Afghanistan. Yeah, you know what? That's better. I think the people in Afghanistan deserve it more than we do. So mm-hmm. Yeah, we'd be about 6 million go-karts short for, for Canada. Here's an idea. With $70 billion of Bezos bucks, I just checked how much it costs to make The Last Jedi, because I know a lot of people want to remake it for some reason. Mm-hmm. You could remake it 600 times. Really get that thing right. That'd be per- then there'd be a version of The Last Jedi for every potential fan. Yeah. Just take your pick. Definitely. With 600 versions, you're going to like one of them. Maybe Disney, instead of making Star Wars movies every year, will just make a new Last Jedi every year for (laughs) 600 years with the Bezos bucks. It's not the worst idea in the world. But, you know, I don't know, maybe something a little bit more practical, something that would help people. One thing I thought would be nice was that you could give a $41,000 bonus to every teacher in America. Oh, that's nice. It's a nice bonus. I wouldn't uh, turn down a $41,000 bonus. Yeah, and teachers across America right now are struggling low wages, and they're doing God's work. I think they deserve it. Another useful thing we could do is build 200 hospitals for $70 billion. It's wow. a lot of hospitals. That's a lot. Assuming something like $200,000 a unit, you could build about 350,000 units of single unit housing, which is That's bad. like half the homeless people in America. Yeah. Well, and if you want to just cut straight to the chase... You could give $127,000 to every homeless person in the United States. Huh. And you'd actually have $150 million left over oh. that you could just sort of dick around with. Yeah, that's great. Just for context, with $150 million, you could buy about 620,000 Trailmaster 150 XRS go-karts, which is about enough to give a one go-kart to every person in the Cayman Islands. Well, so you could give every homeless person in America $127,000 and one of those fancy go-karts to everyone in the Cayman Islands. Yeah. Wow. You know what else you could do in addition to giving every homeless person in America $127,000? Okay, so the starting point is that you've given every homeless person in America $127,000, and then you have this leftover Bezos bucks. Yeah. How do you use it? Leftover Bezos bucks, you could, and I think there's a poetic justice to this, save 75 million acres of the Amazon rainforest from deforestation. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of acres. Meanwhile, every homeless person in America is living it up on $127,000, the best payday of their life. Yeah. And doing that would bring it down to only 3.7 million bidet attachments. But that's still a lot of bidet attachments. I think strategically deployed around North America could really get people in on that. Mm, and, yeah, we yeah. should distribute those limited bidets based on need. Because when you need one, you really need one. With the full 70 billion Bezos bucks, you could buy the most expensive yacht 15 times over. Just 15 yachts? <laughs> yeah. That'd be a waste, I think. It's called the History Supreme. The History Supreme? That's a weird name. The most expensive yacht. Well, these are all great ideas, but you know, I think really funneling it all into homelessness is probably the best idea right now. Building houses better than giving them the cash straight up, is my opinion. Yeah. No, I agree. I had a lot of fun today, but we should use the $70 billion that we're about to take from Jeff Bezos to end homelessness. You're right. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm glad we we talked it out. We evaluated all options. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it's the homelessness. What's the problem with homelessness? It's the listness, the absence of the homes. Solve the listness, solve the homelessness. Yeah, it's pretty simple. Get it together, Jeff. 
I think there's a lot of options when we're talking about programs to address income inequality in America and around the world. For me, I just want to end homelessness. I'm on this big ending homelessness kick, and I'm convinced that we need to tax the fabulously wealthy to pay for housing the homeless and just get her done. So maybe we could tax rich people directly or the biggest corporations like Amazon. I've heard proposals around taxing land or even taxing people's stores of wealth. But for you, Matt, what would your ideal redistributive program look like for addressing income inequality? Well, first on the homelessness thing, I actually think homelessness is an interesting area of policy because what seems to work is housing first. I don't know if you've looked into that, Mm. but it's sort of like, look, just get homeless people into, you know, efficiency apartment units and just pay the rent, just straight up do that. Mm -hmm. And that actually, Utah did this recently, which is a conservative state, and they, they nearly wiped out homelessness doing this. And the thing that they found is that it actually saves money because living a homeless life is very hard on people as far as health and all sorts of things like that. And so they actually do end up costing a lot of public money because they're going to the hospital all the time. They're getting picked up by police all the time. And if you add up the savings from not having them put all that burden on public expenditure just because, I mean, how can you avoid it if you're homeless? If you add that up, it's less than than the rent that it takes to just put them in a nice apartment. And then when they have a house, they can use that as a launching pad to get employed and do whatever. So you don't even necessarily need to get money for it. You got the money, you just need to, you know, <laughs> stop spending it on putting them in hospitals and jails and p- spend it on putting them in a, an apartment. We looked into this for a recent episode, and there's data out of, I think, Florida and Finland that shows that you save about $20,000 per homeless person per year by housing them first. (laughs) You don't even need to tax any more money. You could actually tax less money by housing the homeless. That's a good point. But on the overall inequality point, there basically are three things that you can do, right? So one is to build up the welfare state and make sure that that's well-funded, make sure you have universal child benefits, make sure you have good old age pension, disability pension, that sort of thing. The second thing is strong unionization. That will tend to ensure that workers get a larger piece of the pie and ensure that the distribution of wages are more compressed, meaning that management will tend to make less and lower level workers will tend to make more than if there wasn't a union. And then the third thing is trying to socialize assets as much as you can. That is one that I think for the most part, you know, lowercase l liberal democracies have avoided. But that is a key as well, because if you can start to publicly own capital, even in the form of just owning shares of companies, then you can receive the income that currently flows out to the people who own all the wealth in the country, which is in most countries a relatively small group of people. And so if you you can get on top of that wealth and then you can get that income directly and spread it out to everyone, that's a relatively easy trick for making income much more evenly distributed. But it does require the specter of socialism to some degree. So the original sort of blue shell plan, which is focused on this one individual's incredible wealth, and this, you know, it speaks to me, but (laughs) I think it's pretty cool. But then also (laughs) what I'm starting to get here is maybe a second, a deep blue shell plan, a a blue shell plan that's 
aimed at like the systemic underlying circumstances. And so that Blue Shell plan is strengthening the welfare state, having stronger unions and socializing assets into public hands to make income. Do you mind if we call that the Blue Shell plan also? Yeah, I think that's, yeah. I mean, to me, the Blue Shell piece of it is really about the top. How do you keep the top from getting out of control? Whereas the other aspects are more, well, once you get the money, what are you going to do with it? Well, you can pay workers more and you can pay non-workers more. And so it gets a little muddled. To me, I think the real like blue shell aspect of it is the socializing assets. Because when you look at the richest of the rich, how do they make their money? They make their money because they happen to own stock in something that goes out of control for one reason or another, right? So like the Walmart heirs, they all own Walmart stock. Bezos owns Amazon stock. Bill Gates owned Microsoft stock. I think he's sold that off now and is now diversified. But like the overwhelming majority of their money comes from the ownership of assets. They may have created a company at some point and made good money as a CEO at one point, but it's really the ownership of those assets that matters. The same for Zuckerberg. He owns Facebook stock. It's all ownership of stock. And so that's how people get crazy net worths. And so if you can bring that ownership more into public hands, then you can avoid those sort of explosive top 0.01111% of people. I couldn't agree more. I think that you've laid out some really good points that's important. We're going to be hyping this up as the Blue Shell Plan straight from you. It's going to go into implementation. We're going to be the amplifier. <laughs> we're going to make sure everyone everyone knows Get what Trudeau. we're about to do. And Does Trudeau listen to the podcast? We're working on it. We're working on getting okay. Trudeau to listen. <laughs> We've been a little bit critical. Actually, Trudeau just, I don't know if we even want to talk about this, but Trudeau purchased an asset for the people. He bought the Kinder Morgan pipeline expansion here in Canada for $7 billion or something like that when it was originally sold a couple decades ago for like $900 million or something. Like He bought it from the private sector for like seven times what it was worth when the private sector was buying it. Well, that's not that's not a good way to do it, to do, to do the plan. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's not blue shell. That's green shell at best. So yeah, thanks a lot for coming on the show today, Matt. So now you founded the People's Policy Project. Yes. I've read over a handful of the reports that you and your um, collaborators that have done on that website. It's really, really awesome stuff, like really great proposals around policies that are very reasonable and, and focused on alleviating social ills. What's the genesis of that project? Yeah. So after the 2016 presidential primary here, you know, it was clear that some element of socialist or more further left people were coming into the political scene who previously were very, very few in number or were just not interested in being involved. And so that's you know where I situate myself on the sort of far left in the U.S. I was a think tank person. I worked at a think tank called Demos, which was more center left. But I was one of the people who came out for Bernie Sanders during the primary, one of the few think tank people who did that. And so after the primaries were over, I ultimately decided, well, I should try to start my own think tank that tries to find ways to support sort of far left ideas, but makes them reasonable. You know, let's put out really professionalized white papers that won't get dismissed because part of the problem Bernie had and the far left in general has in the US is they have so few policy resources that when they propose things, they struggle to get together like a really nice, clean product. And so that then makes the media reject them as silly and ridiculous. And so this is a tried a way to, to fix that. So like, for instance, 
Bernie's big thing was Medicare for all, sort of a Canadian style healthcare system. And all the press in the US, which are mostly center left, panned it as completely absurd, pie in the sky, ridiculous. But like, it's not ridiculous. It exists just north of our border in, in one form or another. And But, you know, the money is not behind it. And so people haven't put out good clean proposals for it. And so that's the sort of idea is like, well, maybe we could put out a Medicare proposal, or maybe we could put out a proposal for social housing or these sorts of things, which are very popular on the far left, but otherwise are neglected by the main like policy institutions in the country. Yeah, in particular, the plan to solve the housing crisis through social housing. I've been I've been repping that. <laughs> I've been repping that with my uh, friends here in Vancouver because we got an incredible housing crisis. And I read that report. And I was like, this makes perfect sense. Uh, we got to do it. It's been really great talking to you about this stuff, Matt. Thanks for coming on the show. And people can find the People's Policy Project at peoplespolicyproject.org. You've got a Patreon as well. And I strongly recommend checking out more of Matt's work. Thanks for having me on. This was really fun. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Matt. And so Matt Brunig seems like he's on board too. Yeah, no, it's, I think it's a good idea. Yeah. I also I w- like Matt Brunig's other ideas. Yeah, no, definitely. The deep blue shell, as you called it. He's obviously thought about this a lot more than we have. I'm just podcast host. He runs a think tank. We don't need to put ourselves down. We put a lot of effort into this stuff too, Aaron. Not putting us down, just saying different expertises. That's why we had him on, because he's an expert. The government owning Amazon stock is a constant return on investment. It also just reminded me of something you were telling me the other day of like, why don't governments do all the things that rich people do to make money? Like, why do they rely on taxing middle and low income people and letting rich people off with low tax rates instead of doing that tax rich people, but then also invest the money and like do smart business things with it. It's like, oh, no business people, only business people can do that. I mean, and that's what really kills me about the fucking question you get when you're being idealistic about use of government to alleviate pain and suffering in the world. When people are like, how are you going to pay for it? It's like, oh, we're going to pay for it the same way we pay for uh, everything ever. But hey, do you want to get into a detailed theory? about where government revenue comes from because did you know it's not just taxes and shouldn't just be taxes and there's tons of ways for governments to generate revenue without direct tax income and i'm not saying that this is against taxes or like taxes are bad i think taxes especially taxes on the richest earners are like really important i mean i'm okay with all sorts of taxes but also the government has the capacity to generate insane amounts of revenue without taxes and i just the the government has all the ability to generate wealth and revenue that a business has, and they have the avenue of taxes. They have both. Yes, yes. <laughs> I've tried to make this point before, but the government is yeah. like they have all the tools, and then they have this extra tool, which is that they can take money away from everyone. For <laughs> It's actually incredible to think of a dysfunctional government in light of that. Yeah, and it's beautiful to imagine a functional one. I also, I just, I want to touch base on one of the things from this interview that stuck with me is those six categories. That make up 80% of people in poverty. Yeah. Children under the age of 18, elderly people above the age of 65, people who are disabled, people who are students, people who are unemployed or temporarily unemployed and stay at home caregivers. And stay at home caregivers are often giving care to children, elderly or the disabled. Just hearing it laid out, I mean, what what else would there be? Like, it describes the whole spectrum of what poverty would be most of the time. It makes perfect sense. Yeah, Just hearing it all laid out so clearly, I really treasure that and appreciate that it was brought forward. Yeah, the fact that it's 80% and it's a clean six categories, wonderful information nugget. Love that. 
Love Matt Brunig. Love Matthew Lang. Both our Matts really represent in this episode. Did a great job. Two great Matts who killed it today. I really appreciate that. But also, I got to say, you're more than just a Matt. Like in your sure. own ways. Yeah, I mean, everyone's unique. I just, there's nothing wrong with being a Matt. Oh, no, no, not at all. No, I don't mean to imply that either. I just, yeah. I wanted to do a callback. Right. Sure. No, I, I got it. I, I just want to make sure that the callback didn't come off in, in a personal way. I always feel weird talking about people uh, that are on the show when they're not in the room. It's right. like, how are they going to hear it? Yeah, I don't know. I love joking the, about their names. We yeah, don't even, yeah, we called him Matthew Lang before. Maybe he hates being called Matt. Who knows? We don't know. Yeah, I don't know. All I know is I want the best for both of them, and I, I loved having them on the show. Yeah, I agree with all that, and I think that they did a great job. So this has been the Seriously Wrong Show. Uh, my name's Sean, and... I'm Aaron. We try to do an episode every week. You can find us online at seriouslywrong.com. And if you want to get access to bonus episodes and our whole archive, we'd love it if you give us a sweet six, that's $6 a month, to access the whole archive on Patreon or PayPal. Or you could also step it up a notch, do the Terrific 20. A handful of people have chosen to do this, and it really makes our world a more beautiful place. It makes me cry from joy. Neither Sean or I are the richest men in the world. We don't have Bezos bucks. If we ever got Bezos bucks, we would use it to house the homeless. So we got to ask for money on the podcast. And big thank you to everyone who does donate. You are what makes this possible. Like we want to do more shows where we can get two interviews and do like this kind of more complicated stuff. It's so much fun producing this episode. We want to do more stuff like it. We want to do more and the donors are making it happen. Thank you for listening to the show, everyone. And now it's time for us to maybe talk directly to Jeff. Jeff Bezos, yeah. yeah. I think it's time that we turn away from the audience and turn towards Jeff. So the audience, you can still listen to this, but I am talking to Jeff now, just Jeff, the human being. You know, we've been pretty hard on you on this episode, saying we want to take half your money basically criticizing your business practices criticizing a lot about you and who you are and i know that can't be easy to hear and i just want to say that it's not personal to you you could be a wonderful man interpersonally to the people in your life i don't know and look i'm not even saying that you didn't do something wonderful with the creation of amazon i think that it's been successful because it is so liberatory in a sense for the individuals who use it. I'll admit it, I use your site quite a bit. And so I feel personally invested in you doing the right thing with the money, with the wealth that I'm helping you to build. I understand that it must be really mind-blowing all of a sudden you're the top of one of the largest companies in the world and all this money. Like, it's a huge burden to know what to do with that kind of power. It's not an easy situation for anyone and I don't think very many people would know how to handle it perfectly. And so I just want to express some empathy for you in the situation that you're in. Doesn't mean that we can't target you with a blue shell tax. I think that's justified and I think that Jeff deep inside knows that that would be justified. There's 550,000 people, Jeff, human beings, sleeping on the streets, living without fixed addresses, often suffering from disability or a traumatic head injury. People who really just had a bad run of luck, the same way that you had a good run of luck, a bad run of luck, and then yeah. ended up in just unthinkable positions. And I won't sugarcoat it. We're asking for a sacrifice from you. 
in order to relieve all of that pain and all of that suffering, which is in your power, more so than it's in the power of, of pretty much anyone else. Yeah, it is in your power. And that, that kind of brings me around to the second thing I wanted to say. And right now, I'm not talking to Jeff so much as I'm talking to the richest man in the world. And I want to say that being the richest man in the world, that's quite a title. It's quite a title. That's like, not many people do that. It's mm-hmm. uh, Only one at a time. It's a pretty exclusive group. You're the only one right now, because that's how it works structurally, but you're not the only one in history. So it's an important title, and I understand why you like being addressed by that, according to our sketch. That's, Which was journalism. I should be clear, that sketch is journalism. Yeah, whatever that means. And <laughs> But the richest man in the world, there is an even more exclusive title that you could obtain for yourself. The man who ended homelessness in America. And that's a title that nobody else has. As far as earning your place in the history books, that's way better. If you're looking for the biggest ego boost possible, if like you care about the title, the richest man in the world that much, I'm just saying there's better titles out there. There's more exclusive titles out there. And you would be remembered as a hero rather than as a kind of shady billionaire slash he's a genius i guess listen to his weird advice that isn't that great google it it's not that great he gives a lot of it though sorry um it's it's hard to not snarkily make asides to the other seven billion people i'm sure you can <laughs> understand and just once again i know you don't like to hear that we want to take half your money we want to knock you back to third or fourth place but there is a way you can stop us from doing that. You can stop us from doing that by heading us off at the pass and doing it yourself. Mm-hmm. Build homes for all the homeless people in America. Be the man who ended homelessness. Be a hero. You can do it. I believe that you can do that. You can make the right decision. You're a human being with free will and $150 billion. Like, come on, man. Be a Jeff. Jeff, we really think you should do it. We think it's a good idea. And we think you'd be really happy if you did. And everyone else in America would be happy. It'd be a big deal, Jeff, and it's within your power. I'd consider it. I really would. It's bold. It's shocking. It's an unprecedented move. It's holy cow. It's plan A, Jeff. We call it plan A. Yeah, and it's always nice when plan A just goes through without a hitch and... You can leave the manila envelopes sealed. Yeah, we have a whole filing cabinet full of non-lethal plans for how to achieve this end. There's thousands and thousands of non-lethal ways to end homelessness, and we're prepared to do it. It actually save lives, increase that life expectancy. So anyway, Jeff, the richest man in the world, I'm just saying... Consider it. We're putting it out there. That's all we can do. Humble podcast. Think about it. Go with plan A. It's our best plan. That's why it's plan A. And now we go to the plan A universe. That's the universe where plan A worked and Jeff listened and he's going to end all homelessness. Oh, uh, Mr. Richest Man on Earth, your appointment is here. Can I let him in? Oh, excellent. Yes, send him in at once. Michael, it's so good to see you again. I wasn't expecting to hear from you. <laughs> Come, sit down. I mean, it sit was down. nice, I think. Can I pour you a drink? Sure. Alcoholic, non-alcoholic? Uh, no, I drove. Uh, it gives me headaches. I'll just, uh, club soda? Club soda. Kind of keep my calories down. I like the way you think. So listen, Michael, sitting down with you the other day and having you stop by for a quick meeting really had a big impact on me and uh here you go 
I Thank also you. listen to this great leftist podcast. It's meta sometimes, but it doesn't usually get too meta. Huh. So yeah, I was basically just thinking about the incredible amount of power I have as the richest man in the world. Right. I think I'm going to spend about $70 billion to end homelessness in America forever and work with municipal and state governments and the federal government and just really put my face on it, put my name on it, get out there, lead the charge with 70 bill, see if I can get people to match me, work with governments, housing first, just end homelessness, do it myself, roll up my sleeves and get it done. It's it's the least I can do with my lottery winnings. Kudos to you. That's a great choice. That is a great, great choice. You know, you were my buddy Jeff back in high school. Then you were the richest man in the world. And now I feel like you're my hero. Thank you. I mean, it is a sacrifice. I'm going to have to move down to third richest man. Wow, that's losing a lot. I feel like it's the right thing to do. I really do. You know what? I was reluctant to address you as the richest man in the world, but calling you the man who ended homelessness is a title I would bestow on you with zero hesitation. You know what, Michael? I I appreciate that. I really do. But you can call me Jeff. Really? Yeah. Yeah, you can call me Jeff. My old buddy Jeff from high school? He's back? It's me. Jeff! It's me. It really is. I mean, I'm the same kid I was when I was a kid in high school. Do you want to go for a drink? I'd be honored to have a drink with my old friend Jeff, the man who ended homelessness. I know you don't need the title, but the man who ended homelessness in America. Michael, I think you can take that title too, because if I hadn't talked to you, I would have never considered it, really. Oh, come on. I think Yes, you would have. No, no, I really think in a sense, honestly, Michael, you're the man who ended homelessness. You're the start of all this. Well, you know, let's kick it up one more notch to my mother. I wouldn't be here without my wonderful mother raised me by herself. Well, that's incredible. Your mother is the woman who ended homelessness. I mean, I can't wait to tell her. <laughs> uh, but first drinks, let's go. Let's, let's head, go. Let's yeah. head out for you drinks. We all ended homelessness. We all did. Why should any one person get credit for that? Yeah, that's true. Everyone who shopped at Amazon. Everyone who's ever shopped at Amazon ended, ended homelessness. homelessness. Incredible. You know what? First round of drinks on me. I still have like $78 billion. Wow. After losing $70 billion... You're willing to still buy drinks. What a guy. What a guy. So Jeff and Michael went to one of their favorite old haunts, crushed a couple of brews, two bros. They got rowdy, rambunctious, but you know, always nurturing and affectionate. Just a grand old time. They discussed all kinds of leftist theory, and he did it. He used his Bezos bucks to house every homeless person in America. And with that 150 million left over, he bought one Trailmaster 150 XRS go-kart for every person who lives in the Cayman Islands. And at the end, everything was right because Jeff went with plan A. And that was the right choice, Jeff.
Next time on Seriously Wrong, Sean gives Aaron a basic math lesson because Aaron, uh, in that what to do with the Bezos bucks section, he messed up the math on more than one of the things he was saying. And it's not really hard math, simple multiplication and division. But in Aaron's defense, the mistake he made was calculating some, uh, specifically the dispossessed and the amount of Star Wars The Last Jedi's, you can only make 300. Uh, Aaron was calculating based on 150 billion, so that would be all of Bezos's money. And we can't, we can't take all of Bezos's money. Can we? Hey, you very good. See you next time.